0: Well, amen. Thank you, worship team, for another great time of singing to our God this morning. Uh, again, welcome to everyone, uh, to Fellowship of Grace. Um, uh, my name is Pastor Derek, the pastor of Family and Discipleship. Uh, happy to give Pastor Michael a break today as we continue on in, in our, at least somewhat of a break. He's still, still doing stuff, but uh, we're going to continue on in our series in Colossians this morning uh, as we... Um, work through this wonderful book. I think we've got a lot of a lot of good stuff to go through today. Uh, I want to kind of start this morning by by just introducing this idea, um, the topic of, of calling, and specifically in regards with kind of a calling to ministry. You know, that, that's a phrase that's common um, uh, in, in churches and. Kind of um, especially with church leaders, I know there's many times people will ask me or as they get to know my story a little bit about when when do you feel like you were called to to be a pastor or called to help lead a church, called to ministry that sort of thing and it's always a little bit confusing for me to answer because i i don't know exactly i can 't pinpoint an exact time or place i mean there's certainly things in my past that that I think have, have led me to this place, I remember very specifically and uh sitting in a church service in middle school or probably in my early teens and, and kind of think and the pastor gave an invitation, kind of the old school, you know this is your time to make a decision at the end of a service and and I remember just kind of thinking there and, and was praying, and it felt like God was just calling me to something unique or special, and I didn't know exactly what it was. I remember telling my, my parents about it, and they kind of, I'm sure my mom has the date in her Bible or something like that, but, but you know, from that, I, I didn't really know. I didn't, like, reorient my life directly to being being a pastor at that point, but over a specific number of decisions and things as I grew up and went went to college and and the college I went to had a Christian ministry studies program that they just kind of randomly started when I, when I got there. And so that kind of directed me there. And I started to learn about church planting, this concept I had never really heard about or really thought seriously about. And, and then heard about Midwestern and went to seminary here. And through that, kind of got connected with Fellowship of Grace. And anyway, so all these decisions, they kind of it was a lot like God just kind of showing me one step at a time. Where, where it was, and, and so this idea I, there are some good things and some good we 're not going to talk all today about this idea of calling to ministry, um, but it, it can be confusing sometimes because sometimes sometimes you just don 't don 't know exactly where God has, has called you to do or called you to be you don 't know if it 's the, the bad pizza you ate the night before or whatever it, it might be and, and so uh, it reminded me of, of this the confusion, kind of the, the story of this young farmer who was standing in his field, uh, he was looking up at the clouds. and. He uh, started to see kind of a weird formation forming, and they seemed to form the letters G-P-C, G-P-C, and, he's, and, he, and after a moment, he, he, he thought, well, I, I think God's telling me to go preach Christ. That must be what it stands for, go preach Christ. So he went to the deacons of his church, insisted that he, he, he had this call from God to, to preach, and they were very respectful of his enthusiasm, stuff, so all right, we'll, we'll give you a shot. They, they let him preach that Sunday. And the sermon uh, was very, very long, uh, tedious, virtually incoherent. And as it finally ended, the leaders kind of sat in stunned silence, with nobody really saying a word. And finally, one of the old deacons um, muttered over to the would be preacher, You know, I think those clouds were saying, probably saying, Go plant corn. Go plant corn. <laughs> So, and I, as I introduced this topic, I, I know Pastor Michael didn't give us a joke last week, so a lot of you were, I didn't want to go two weeks without giving you a nice corny joke, in a sense, um, to start. But it, it has something to do with this idea, because I, I do want to help clear up this confusion where, where, where of, of calling, of calling, of, of, by, by saying that, that you are all called to the ministry. You're all called to ministry, and it doesn't mean you need to necessarily run and go quit your jobs today. But but I want you to see as we look at Colossians and see these verses that as Paul the writer as he talks to us about his kind of his calling in a sense and his ministry and how we can we can partake in that, we can share in that even, even today. Um, we talk a lot about uh, how every member of our church is a minister. Every member, there isn't this special class of you know super Christians that they oh they all become church leaders or pastors or anything like that. We are all called, in, in the very highest sense, to be ministers of the gospel. And that, that's what we'll talk about today, the ministry of the gospel. Um, if you remember, for those of you who've been here over the last several weeks, and if you miss, especially I know during the summer months, always go back to our website, fallkc.com, and you can catch up and, and stay, stay up to date on our sermons. But we've talked the initial sermons through the book of Colossians about this idea of the preeminence of Christ. This this idea that, that Christ is first and best and deserves first and best in our life. And and, and started to explore some ways that that really flushes it out in, in our daily lives. And we're gonna um, really look at that a little bit more today and, and remember that that's kind of leading in to the passage as we read today's passage. We're gonna read it in just a moment. Basically it's Paul getting a little more personal. He, he's kind of gone from this hierarchy and this who Christ is. He is the image of, of God, the firstborn, this really beautiful kind of proclamation of who, who Christ is. And now he's going to get a little more, little more personal with them and say, this is kind of my ministry, my calling. This is why I do what I do. And we're going to see just a great example in this, I think, that we can, we can um, kind of draw out some principles from. So let's start in verse 24 of, of Colossians chapter 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not gathered in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness uh, firmness of your faith in Christ." So we see there, uh, I know that there's a lot in there. I wanted to read it all at first because we, we're going to kind of go through the outline today and kind of take the verses a little bit out of order. Um, some, of the, some of these sentences are kind of long run-on sentences, lots of commas and semicolons and those things. So it, sometimes you it, it get lost in there. But I want us to, to really see this picture of what gospel ministry looks like from Paul's example and to, to really evaluate our own participation in our lives um, in light of Christ's preeminence. We always keep that in the forefront of our minds, uh, of Christ being first and best. So how does that, how does that affect the way we live and, and really how we are all called to ministry? So we're going to look at three big things uh, related to gospel ministry, the nature, the goal, and the message. All right, and, and I want to, before we jump into the nature of gospel ministry, I want to quickly explain what I mean by the gospel. We use that word a lot, and we, and we should. We should. It, it's basically what we mean by that is is the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. The good news is good news because there was bad news before Jesus. Before before that, we were separated from from God. Our sin separated us from God since the, the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, man, uh, God had had a plan to to reconcile man back to Himself. And that found its found its way and and found its kind of conclusion in a sense in, in Jesus. In Jesus, and we'll talk a lot about that. But but that, this good news of Jesus is what we talk about when we when we talk about and say the word gospel. So, I um, want to clear that up. And if you are here today, and maybe this is your first time here, maybe maybe your first time in church, or you've just started to come, and um, you have not received the gospel, and you, you you don't you kind of know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. So I, w- I want to encourage you as you listen today, as we talk about this, to to really um, examine your life and and see. Uh, if Jesus might be calling you um, to himself. I, I believe he is. He, he, he is calling all of us in, in certain ways. So I want to jump in as we talk about this gospel ministry and first dealing with the nature of it, kind of what are some characteristics of it? What, what is gospel ministry, as Paul kind of explains, what is it all about? I think really one word that sums it up pretty good is stewardship. It's really all about stewardship. And that's kind of a big churchy word What we'll, we'll unpack in a second, but you see in, in the first few verses that, that we read together, he starts to talk about there towards the end, the church. Uh, this language is very common uh, in all of Paul's writing. He, he really views himself as a minister, which means servant, as a servant of Christ and of his church. And now, according to the stewardship, that phrase really uh, echoes... What, what Paul has, has said over and over again, he, he sees himself as one that has hel- is held accountable, is going to be held accountable for something. The steward, which is something we don't really talk about, or at least in modern days, but in the Bible, this was somebody who was entrusted with managing the property and possessions of somebody else, and and they were um, going to be held accountable when that person returned, or when that person, you know, they, they were kind of underneath the, their owner. And so, if we view ourselves as stewards of the gospel, um, I, I think that, that really kind of is, is a broad summary of how we view our participation in, in, in gospel ministry. Are we, are, are we being faithful stewards, not just of our, our finances? We use that word in church a lot with, are you, you, know, are you being a steward of, of what the resources God has given you? And that's certainly good to talk about and, and think about, but, but are we being good stewards of the gospel? We've been entrusted the gospel, the good news of Jesus for those of you who have received christ have you you've believed the gospel um, then then you've been entrusted with that and w- and we have something to do with it well, what what are we are not not something to do with it and, and receiving it but something once we receive it we 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 have a responsibility to share that with others so so some good questions to ask kind of based on this uh, you know do we do we really think of being good stewards of the gospel? Do, do we think that we? We uh, I think it's important for us to to explore and kind of think about as we go through um, these verses. You know, we see three ways really um, under this nature of gospel ministry. Um, three characteristics specifically of it. The first one is this: faithful proclamation. Faithful proclamation is a is a significant mark of gospel ministry. We see this in verse 28, where Paul says, him we proclaim. That he's proclaiming, and that him he's talking about, obviously, is Christ. The, the word proclaim there, it means to, to make something broadly or publicly known. To, to, how, how do we do that? You know, a few verses earlier, Paul talked about how he wanted to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God. That, that drove every, everything about his ministry and his service towards others. You know, in 1 Corinthians, there's several verses that, that Paul talks about and, and, and kind of where he talks about this idea. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, this is, he, he didn't worry about a lot of other things, of teaching, teaching a lot of other different kinds of things. He focused on Jesus. It was all about Jesus for Paul. And that, that's important for us to think about, and it doesn't mean it's wrong to, to do other things or talk about other topics at times, but, but our focus should always be be centered on Jesus. Now now when we think about our, our daily lives, how do we proclaim? Now now I think you know proclamation can can look very different in different contexts. One one example um, that, that I came across was the story of a 70-year-old blind uneducated African woman who got saved. She was so filled with gratitude to her Savior, she wanted to do something for Christ. Uh, She went to the missionary with her French Bible and asked him to underline John 3.16 in red. The missionary wondered what she was doing, but he watched as she took her Bible, sat in front of a boy's school in the afternoon, and when school was dismissed, she would call a boy or two and ask them if they knew French. When they proudly said that they did, she would say, please read the passage underlined in red. When they said when they did she would ask them do you know what this means and she would proclaim Christ to them over the years 24 young men became pastors due to her work and I'm sure many others lives were were countlessly just impacted greatly and positively you know I I want us to remember that gospel proclamation can happen in our everyday conversations it can happen in a lot of different different ways we can make Christ known and, and to share his love in this verse, in verse 28, you see a couple of kind of supporting things where Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. This idea of communicating the gospel, communicating who Jesus is by, by warning and teaching, by um, correcting and directing, in a sense. Okay, so don't, don't go this way. This, this way is bad. This way is good. Um, don't, don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't do these things, but do these things. Um, sounds a lot, kind of like parenting in some ways, um, but I want us to think, think through how how, how we can participate in this in, in our in our daily lives. Again, maybe not in the same exact way that that Paul did, but but in our everyday conversations, how do we proclaim Christ? in our lives, and as we think back even over the last few weeks of our life, you know, I know that's hard for some of us with you know, short-term memory issues, but, but if you think back and think about some of your conversations that you had with friends, family, that did, in any of those things, was, was there a piece of gospel proclamation? Were, were you sharing the love of Jesus with them in, in any way, shape, or form in, in those conversations? You know, I, I think, there's a lot of different ways that we can do that, and we just we just need to be intentional about it need to be intentional about the way we we participate in gospel ministry by faithfully proclaiming uh, gospel ministry also involves hard work we see this in these verses verse twenty nine the language Paul uses for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me so here he's toiling struggling you know and, and serving others um, Advancing the gospel with our lives, ministry, is, is a struggle it's, at times. It's, it's messy. It's, it's challenging. It, it's, it requires uh, hard labor, um, mostly because it involves people. People, and we, we say that a lot. You know, people are messy. We're all, we're all messed up in, in our ways. We all have our issues and challenges, and in and, and, and our kind of work of, of becoming more like Christ, it, it can be difficult at times to help others and, and be helped by others. So I want us to, to see in here that, that Paul wasn't opposed to working hard. You know, the gospel isn't opposed to effort. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't just free you to kind of not do anything. Um, the gospel isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning, all right? So we need to make that, that quote uh, of something I, I've always kept in the back of my mind, heard it a few years ago, and, um, but, but we're not, as, as saved believers, followers of Jesus, the gospel doesn't Go against us working hard, trying hard, being disciplined um, it, it is opposed to those things, obviously the motivation behind it being earning we don't we don't earn anything with our salvation we do all those things as a result of it so are are you working hard and and the Ministry of the gospel. Have have there been times in your life where you've been just physically drained or emotionally drained, but but spiritually energized on the inside? I think you know. I think this is an example of how we see Paul. I mean, he he is um, working hard. He's suffering in a lot of different ways and things like that. But but you see him always have this perspective of keeping Christ at the center and um, doing everything. Uh, with with his energy, you see in that verse, all, with all his energy, Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. We have the power of Christ in us to give us the energy when we feel weak or insufficient and that that should be a great comfort to us today. A third mark of gospel ministry and, and in context of the stewardship is joyful suffering. And in verse 24, as Paul s- starts out in these verses that we read today, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So again, we don't have time to go through this in detail, uh, kind of the theology of suffering, but but we've talked a lot about it in, in past months through our series in the Book of Philippians. And, and Paul again is just he he finds joy in suffering, uh, in suffering for Christ. It brings him him great joy. And, and, and as we look at this verse, there's something in here I need to touch on because it does at first glance kind of seem similar to the verse we, we tackled last week. It kind of seems a little confusing or it may be something that it, saying something that it's not saying. Uh, it says, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So you see the word lacking and you see the word Christ and you're like, well, those two don't seem to go together as we're talking about Christ being enough and first and best um, what, what this is really saying and, and meaning, without getting too much into details, the word lacking there, we, we tend to view that as a kind of, in a sense of insufficient or not enough. But, but Paul is using this in the sense of um, completing or fulfilling Christ's sufferings on the cross. So, so in some way, in kind of a mysterious way, the, when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we're, we're kind of sharing in the suffering of God and the suffering of Jesus specifically on, on the cross. And so that's what he is getting at here, and and it's just reminding us how much suffering and serving Christ go hand in hand. They they just do. Paul is writing this from a prison cell, and he has suffered greatly in his ministry and will suffer more as he writes other letters. Um, But I I think some questions we can ask of ourselves is, have we experienced joy in suffering? You know, when we think about the times, and, and granted they may be a little bit different for us in our Kind of Western American con context um, have we found joy in sacrificing for the sake of the gospel? Uh, have, have you kept that perspective of of keeping Christ first and best to where when, when things don't go as you planned or, or, or things go south um, on the surface and maybe in your life um, that you can still still keep that perspective of, of um, eternal hope and and looking forward to the goal, um, the end goal that we know um, with Christ coming back. So here, here's just a few things in these verses uh, that kind of show us a little bit about what gospel ministry is about. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is just the goal. What is the, what is the goal of gospel ministry? Um, well, first, I think it's really summed up best by the word maturity. This is the goal of, of gospel maturity. We see this in Paul talking about in verse uh, 28. He says, "Really, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ." This was a was a driving force behind his ministry. Um, you know, we we look at a few different things in in the beginning of chapter two. Uh, I want to want to kind of unpack a couple of these things uh, that really kind of speak to this idea of maturity. What, what does maturity really mean? Well, the first one is is well-rounded spiritual growth. This is what Paul means by maturity. Now in this context, he, he is talking to this church. He, he, he doesn't know this church personally. He's heard good things about the church, and so he's writing to encourage them and, and tell them some things, warn them of some things. But, but he, he wants to uh, explain some things, and I think he shows us uh, some, some kind of aspects of what, what spiritual growth and well-rounded spiritual growth look like. Um, here in verse one of chapter two, it says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And then back and in in following in verse two, um, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So even in, just in this, this phrasing, which I think encompasses a couple of different verses. Um, we see it, we see that he he is wanting their hearts to be encouraged. We, he wants their hearts to be encouraged. Uh, this is more than just a, a kind of warm fuzzy happy feeling of encouragement. This is a deep encouragement that that affects every part of the person. You know, as Christians, the more we grow in Christ, uh, the more encouraged we should ex- more encouragement we should experience um, as we as we um, experience God's peace um, as a beloved child of of him, um, and this, this should help us and, and is part of our spiritual growth. But it's, it's just part of it. It's not all of it. We want to be well-rounded, as he, as he says. So the f- second one, and even in this, this verse here, is be knit together in love. He wants, them, he wants their actions to, re- to reflect uh, how their heart feels with this encouragement. You know, being knit together in love, this idea of a kind of a unifying, connecting power of love. As they've experienced the love of Christ, now they can kind of share that with one another. They can share that this is an important aspect that shows that they're growing spiritually. But it's not just a, a, a love that uh, is on the surface, but it's a love that's really grounded in truth. Grounded in truth, and, and we see in this verse, uh, understanding and knowledge as he says, says their assurance of understanding and f- the knowledge of God's mi- m- mystery. So we see kind of him dealing with the heart, him dealing with their actions and now their mind. He wants them to be assured in their mind of who Christ is and what he's done. So as we think about well-rounded spiritual growth as a sign of maturity, it you know, genuine growth, this is a quote from uh, Brian Hedges, an author, a uh, common <laughs> Uh, that was written some commentaries. It says this, Genuine growth is holistic growth. It touches mind, heart, and will and transforms beliefs, behaviors, and relationships. And I think that, that makes sense when we talk about spiritual growth. When you Even just talking about maturity and growth in general or physically, when you take your, take your child to the doctor, um, as they're growing up, they you know, have all these percentile charts, and they're in this percentile for weight, and this percentile for height, and they're kind of measuring all that, or this is how big their head is in comparison, and all this sort of these things. And, and when one of them gets out of whack, they do things to, to help um, rectify that issue and solve, and kind of fix that problem because they're not growing properly. And when we think about that on a spiritual level, if, if we're growing in one area but not growing in another, then we're really not becoming more mature. We, obviously, there's going to be different levels. Everything's, every aspect of our spiritual lives isn't going to grow evenly um, per, you know, at, the, at the exact same rate. But we, we do need to be aware uh, of growing in, in all areas of our life, um, especially areas spiritually. The next kind of mark of maturity that we see in these verses is this. It's well-ordered spiritual community. And this is just kind of a quick phrase uh, at the in, towards the end of verse 5 that we read a few moments ago. But uh, Paul says he, he rejoiced to see them in good order. So we see that the, this church was in... Um, in good order, at least. You know, they, they had, were organized, they were um, unified to some effect, and this is really a, a, a primary effect of the gospel. It puts us in order because we can now have something to unite around. And he's heard a good report about this church. Um, as I said earlier, he, he hasn't m- met uh, personally with this church, but he knows that it wasn't in chaos, and, and so he's commending them of this uh, kind of mark of maturity. And then lastly, we see that another uh, mark of maturity is a well-grounded faith in Christ. Well-grounded faith in Christ. So why, why is the firmness of our faith important? As he says in, towards the end of verse 5, he, he was rejoicing in the firmness of their faith. Well, I, I think when you are unshakable, unwavering in your faith in Christ, then you're not going to be um, kind of tossed to and fro, as it, says, as it says in Ephesians, by every wind of doctrine or every new thing that you hear. And Paul is, is commending them on this and, and really probably in a direct response to the verse before this, which we won't dive into today, But Pastor Michael will be able to get into that um, at a later date as we go through the rest of Colossians, where he he introduces this idea of plausible arguments that are coming into the church, some some ideas, some maybe some teaching that's coming into this church that could kind of sway them off course, that could sway them off course and get them um, outside of this, uh, outside of the gospel. So he's saying, remember to, um, you know, he's commending them on their faith and encouraging them to to stay. Stay steadfast by keeping their faith firm. So lastly, we want to talk about, we've seen the nature of gospel ministry, some characteristics of it, what it looks like, kind of the goal and maturity. Now, lastly, I want, to, I want to just quickly go through what the message of gospel ministry is all about, specifically as it relates to the passage at hand today. Um, really, this is defined kind of as the mystery The mystery. You you noticed that word several times in there that that came up when we read it, Um, and and thankfully, it's it's no longer a mystery. The mystery has been revealed. Um, We see the revelation of the mystery in verse twenty six, where it talks about this says, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And this idea of of being hidden out of sight, where you know where nobody can view it, but hidden in the idea of stored or deposited for us. Um, Matthew Henry commentator says that the treasures of wisdom are hidden, are not hidden from us, but for us in Christ. So that's this idea that that this mystery, um, what was hidden for for many many. many years, you know, through the whole Old Testament, God's plan of, of reconciling uh, humanity back to himself, reconciling the world, his plan of redemption was, was a very kind of complex thing. Uh, he, he alluded to it in a lot of different ways. He, he did a lot of things to um, set the stage for Jesus, who would be kind of the, the ultimate revelation of, of, of his, the mystery of God. And, and as I was thinking about just the, the storyline of the Bible and thinking about how God used different people and, you know, you kind of knew something, that they, they knew something was coming in the future, they didn't know exactly what it was or what it would look like, you know, most of the people of Israel, God's chosen people thought, you know, they were going to be, you know, because they had God on their, their team in a sense, they were going to be kind of a the super group of people and maybe set up a reigns and all these sorts of things. They, they didn't know exactly what it, what it meant. Um, but it kind of reminded me of the of a TV show, at least in, in the context of the story stuff um, that my wife and I've watched in in recent days. And I know many of you have, have watched as well, judging by your social media accounts. Uh, but it's the the show "This Is Us" on NBC. And um, it, it, and I'm not recommending you go watch it. Obviously, there's good stuff, bad stuff on it uh, on the show. But but one thing I, I really appreciate about the show is is it's kind of complex. Storytelling. And it kind of takes these three siblings that are kind of in current day, they're adults. Um, and kind of starts to tell the story of their life and just all their interactions and their relationships and that sort of thing. But but mo- a lot of the show is kind of flashbacks to their childhood. And so you get to see their their parents as they were growing up and their father and their their mother and just all the different things kind of that have led up to who they are today. And, and it kind of goes back and forth. So it's a little confusing, but, but kind of intriguing at the same time. And, and through this first season, um, they, there's this kind of mystery out there of, the 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 dad Jack is is present uh, with the kids during, during their childhood, um, you know he's kind of a strong father figure there and then as but and when they're adults he he's passed away and they allude to it a lot and, and so you know at some point between point A and point B that he, he passed away. You don't know how it happened. You don't know, you know why it happened. All, all the details of it are, are kind of a mystery, and they kind of have this thing, and obviously the end of the season left you hanging, on, and they keep you coming back, and I'm sure they'll keep doing it for as long as they can. But, but this idea that, uh, of, of knowing something was going to happen um, for these, the, the people living in the Old Testament, this mystery, and and, and really was, as I've mentioned, you know, what was the mystery uh, as we as we think about it, it's, I mean, most basically, it's pretty obvious. The the content of the mystery, what the mystery was, was was Jesus. It was Jesus, kind of the the Sunday school answer. Uh, and I mentioned mentioned this in the first service too. But if if uh, over the next few weeks, as we go through Colossians, when we ask a rhetorical question, what was the mystery in your mind? You can always just. I know Jesus should come to mind. It's a Sunday school answer. I mean, that, especially in this book of Colossians. Uh, so uh, just a little tidbit to, to help you be able to feel smarter. And, and so as Jesus has the answer to this this mystery, um, you know, how, how specifically was he the answer? Well, he, he was the answer because he brought salvation, full salvation, uh, and, and completed that. There was also the aspect of, you know, the this idea uh, of Christ in you, the hope of glory, um, and, and you see the phrase in there a few, a couple lines above that, among the Gentiles. Again, you know, the, the, this was this was kind of the God of the Jews in the Old Testament. Um, obviously, he was the creator God, and now, through Jesus, he, he's, he's opened up salvation to all of the Gentiles, and so it's, this isn't just a Jewish Christianity, and, and I know for us today, it, it's kind of hard, of a, hard for us to, to relate to that, but back in this first century, this mystery was like, wow, we're Jews, but, but there's these non-Jews, these Gentiles that are experiencing salvation. The Holy Spirit is indwelling them and, and living inside them. God is saving. This is, this is a plan bigger than we ever thought, and this is the mystery kind of fulfilled in, in Jesus it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, a plan. Well, it definitely was part of it, but it more it was, a, it was a person. It was fulfilled in a person. It wasn't really a series of events, but it was a savior. And that's, that, that was how the mystery was revealed through Jesus. We see, we see in here that this message of, of gospel ministry is really the message of Christ. We, we've come back to that over and over again. The last point today I want to quickly go through is the value of the mystery. You know this language in these verses you know, a lot of things could just communicate really high value you see this in verse twenty seven the riches of the glory of this mystery and then again in two verses two and three talks about the riches of full assurance and the how in Christ there are treasures of wisdom and knowledge you know this idea that that Christ uh, and specifically, in how he was revealed through this mystery. This mystery is valuable. Christ, Christ should hold high value in our lives. And, uh, it it got, kind of got me thinking as I ascribe worth to, you know, really when you talk about worshiping Christ, it's it's ascribing him high value, ascribing worth uh, to him. But as I think about my own life and think about things that I, you know, that I feel are important in this life. Um, whether that's a, a person, uh, you know, a possession of some kind or anything, uh, are there times where, where I p- place a higher value on those things than I do o- on the gospel or on the good news of Jesus and what he has done for me? It uh, made me really kind of think as, as I, you know, if I really understand the gospel, if I really um, are, am living with this idea of of Christ being preeminent and Christ being first and best, then then that should that should affect the way I live my daily life. So the so the the, the mystery is is very valuable, and we can't really overstate that. Um, and as we close today, I do want to just recap kind of the purpose of going. There's a lo- there's a lot of things in there. I know you you know a lot of blanks to fill, and kind of this idea of gospel ministry. Um, hopefully, this at least you were able to see from Paul an example of what what gospel ministry looks like, and then you can kind of take from that maybe what that looks like in your context. Uh, But I I think I want to challenge us to really just see our lives through that lens uh, of proclaiming the gospel, uh, of suffering joyfully when we suffer and working hard for the sake of the gospel. And and really the why behind it goes back to um, this diagram Pastor Michael showed as he went through um, the middle of Colossians 1 a couple of weeks ago. You know, this idea of Jesus not being the necessarily being like the top of the list of all of our priorities, but Jesus being the center of our lives that affects everything we do. He affects everything from our, from our jobs to our hobbies, to our family, to our finances. Every aspect of our lives, Jesus is at the center of. And if that's really true, then, then our life should be all about the gospel ministry. You know, if Christ is pre- imminent and truly preeminent in our lives then then this should be the natural result and and we kind of connect that idea with this idea that we talk a lot about making disciples you know, we, that's, that's one of our the things that our, our church wants to really, really be good at because we feel like that was, that was one Jesus' last words to us, his commission to us, his mission for the church to go and make disciples, to go and present people mature and, and help people grow and that sort of thing. And that's really what, what gospel ministry is all about. They go hand in hand. And so, so for, for you today, for no matter what context you find yourself in, what, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a businesswoman, or a businessman, a school teacher, a factory worker, um, you know, whatever context it is, a, just a committed church member, or, or a parent, or a spouse, a grandparent, or just a friend to someone in need. Through all of those relationships that you have in different, different areas of life, uh, I really want to challenge you to view your relationship uh, as part of part of your gospel ministry, your ministry of the gospel that you are called to, um, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today, and thank you uh, for your word and just how uh, the examples that we find in it. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, and while while sometimes it's um, just hard to um, know what to do and what you you've called us to, God, exactly and specifically, we thank you for the clear calling that we have. Um, as followers of Jesus, to, to be about the ministry of the gospel. God, we thank you for uh, the privilege it is to, to be a steward of the gospel. Help us to uh, live uh, with that in mind, not, not in a, a scared or fearful sort of way, fearful that, that we won't be found faithful, but God, uh, just in, in, a, in a life of gratitude, help us to live that way of, of just so thankful for all that you have done uh, that we want to um, live in a way that maybe even only begins to to repay you. Uh, God, we, we are so grateful for, for your son Jesus and, and how he was revealed to us um, years and years ago and thankful that it affects our lives today. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Derek.